and here we go. Ten. Hydrogen burnoff igniters initiate. Seven. Six. Five. Four stage engines start. Three. Two. One. Boosters in ignition. And liftoff of Artemis One. We rise together back to the moon and beyond. Wow. Hey, Rod Pyle. What were you doing when that happened? I was sitting at home with a glass of my favorite bourbon. <laughs> uh, Rod Pyle. We... I... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go I was just going to say, I had for, for the magazine, I had, I had two photographers and a writer there. And I thought of going, but I thought, you know, I've been waiting 50 years for this yeah. for this event to happen again. And I think maybe I'd better be home where I can sniffle and wipe an eye. Right. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> not, I mean, just consider the grandeur of it, the the project itself, what it took. Uh, it's, yeah. It, I mean, no pun intended, there's nothing like it on Earth. <laughs> Certainly not anymore. It's going to the, it's going to the moon. Um, yeah, that's right. And how many times did we talk? We're going to talk about it, and it's delayed. <laughs> I think it was delayed, what, four times? Four times, so, and we've been talking off and on since you and I met, and I've been talking to WGN yes. about this since, I don't know, 2014? Yeah. I mean, it was supposed to launch in 2016. It was supposed to cost about a billion per flight. And, you know, Boeing, traditional contracting methods, blah, blah, blah. It's now 2022, and it's uh, over $4 billion for flight. But, you know, it's the moon rocket we have. Worked. God bless them. Yes. And who knows in years to come how much this will help. I'll use another moon uh, phrase. Mankind, if you will. Personkind, I guess. If you will. I mean, this sets this hopefully sets the stage as I understand it, right, from talking to you, not from anything that I know, from talking to you that this Artemis rocket will set the stage for somewhere down the line in a few years, human beings being on a rocket like this. And And, and isn't it fun how when we talk, how we always kind of have to, we, we do what NASA public relations does. You know, we sort of couch the phraseology and in a few years and maybe by this date and that kind yeah, of thing, you yeah. know, we're aiming for X, Y, and Z. I mean, a couple of years ago, we set the date for the first landing of a crew, first woman and first person of color and so forth on the moon in 2024, then the slip 2025. Yeah. Now the betting people in my trade are saying, yeah, maybe 2027. Um, for a lot of people, the important thing is that we just do it before the Chinese get their first astronaut <laughs> there. But I, I think we're probably in good shape there. But yeah, I mean, this rocket's going to enable a lot of things. Now, in the the podcast I do every Friday, last week, uh, Tarek Malik and I, he's the editor over at Space.com, so we do this thing together, talked for an hour and 15 minutes, I think, about Starship and SLS. Yeah, some comparisons <laughs> back to Saturn V, but mainly talking about this rocket and Elon Musk's SpaceX's mega rocket and the comparisons between the two. And, you know, I think we'll get service out of out of this rocket, the SLS, for probably, you know, six to eight years, maybe as many flights, because it's only supposed to fly once a year. But mm-hmm. when you look at the mass, you know, the cost and what it takes to, to use this rocket, if SpaceX even gets close to what they're claiming for Starship, as a matter of fact, they got another rocket called the Falcon Heavy that was holding 
the record for most powerful until SLS launched, at least in current times. And, you know, that's roughly 100 to $200 million a flight. It would take two of them to do the lifting that one SLS does, but you could do that math pretty simple. It's still a lot cheaper. So there's there's a lot of cards on the table. It's going to be an exciting decade. So this rocket should be in orbit, what, maybe four to six weeks before it comes back and splashes down on the Pacific? That was the original mission length. Yeah. Uh, everything gets changed when you slide launch dates because right. the, the dynamics between Earth and Moon change yeah, and so forth. Yeah. yeah. So it left orbit the day it launched. It didn't loiter very long. So it's headed out to the moon now. They got a couple of look-back-over-your-shoulder pictures with the Earth in the background past the solar panel, which were beautiful. It's going to go out in this long, looping orbit around the moon. Uh, I think it's closest. It's about 80 miles or something. And it's furthest that it gets out, I don't know, 100,000 miles plus. Um, maybe not that far. Maybe 60. It, anyway, to this big elliptical orbit. And it's going to stay out there for 26 days. And the reason mm-hmm. they're doing that is, uh, A, there's no crew on it. It's, it's simply a robotic flight. But they want to check the life support system. They want to check radiation levels. They want to check, you know, how long can we park these rocket engines in the cold and, and make sure they're going to work. Yeah. This one's using uh, solar panels that fuel cells like Apollo did. But most importantly, they want to test that heat shield coming yeah. back because this will yeah. be the first time in 50 years that we've come smashing into the atmosphere at 25,000 miles an hour. So uh, we're talking it safe. It's Artemis, uh, NASA, Outer Space, and more with Rod Pyle from Ad Astra Magazine right after this on 720 WGN. John Landecker's little nudge. <laughs> of Rod Pyle at at Astro Magazine and co-host well co-host is you a co-host or the host of podcast the podcast this week in space because you mentioned somebody else co- yeah I'm a co-host of that one yeah. so I do it with a guy named Tarek Malik who's the executive editor over at Space dot com and so um, where was I going with this so it's Rod Pyle <laughs> he's a, he's the editor in chief of Ad Astro Magazine. You're at 720 yeah. WGN, and we started talking about it, but the <laughs> Artemis went on. And every time I've had him on, I understand. I understood that he hated Voyager, <laughs> which is... Well, I, I, I loved is, the score. I thought it was the second best TV score they had. It I was know. just the... the I know, the, I know. But the I loved, Munchkin Guild captain they had. I just loved well. the... I loved to put it on, coming out of the second break, just to, <laughs> just to jerk your chain. I said to Brendan, I said, you sure you got Voyager in there, right? Got the Voyager? Yeah, okay. So uh, well, if you, if you really want to put me into PTSD, find the score from, from the Osiris Chronicles, which is a, a pilot I did visual effects for years ago that Joe Dr. Really? directed. Possibly the worst science fiction show on television in the last couple of decades. Where would um, we find it? With our, I, I don't even know. I have a VHS tape of it somewhere. That's how old it is. All right, back to quote unquote reality, or yeah. is it? Or is it? Um, a couple of things in the time remaining. Uh, UFOs have been rebranded. Is that correct? <laughs> By UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena. Ah, uh, no more UFOs. UAPs, unidentified yeah. aerial phenomena, and a panel of experts has been convened to. What are they going to do? Investigate the reality uh, or whatever these things so, may be or not be? It, not quite. So this is interesting. So I'm old enough to remember when Project Blue Book came out in the 60s. The Air Force famously studied UFOs, and we all waited with bated breath. I was, you know, 10 or something. 
and they come out and say, Dad, swamp gas and weather balloons. And we're like, you, you got to be kidding, you know? <laughs> Years go by, other reports come out, other countries study it. It's still uncertain. Then we get to the 21st century, we start getting these releases of these weird videos from the Navy and so forth. And then there's a couple of reports. Yeah. One came out from the DOD about two years ago. I think it was 170 pages and like nine were released to the public. So finally, NASA said, look, we'll, we'll I, I think Congress, Congress actually asked them to, but they said, okay, we'll look into this. Now, this is nine months. They only got $100,000 or something for the budget. So it's pretty really? tiny. Yeah, which is like enough to pay these guys, you know, coffee for a number of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they got this really interesting panel of people, including astrophysicists, FAA officials, former NASA legal advisor, a freelance journalist, which I appreciated, um, an oceanographer and biologist, data science professors, other government people, retired astronaut Scott Kelly. So you know, they got the right people together. And what they're going to do, they're going to only look at declassified reports. And instead of trying to figure out what they are, they're very smartly, I think, going to try and figure out, okay, moving ahead, how should this be studied? You know, what do we do with this data? And how do we make this more productive? Because let's face it, you know, you and I grew up at a time when every UFO report had a fuzzy picture taken with an instamatic that looked like it was shot through, you know, a a Coke bottle or something. Mm -hmm. They're awful. Well, now we're in the age of cell phones that are 48 megapixels. So, you know, we should be expecting some really groovy pictures of any of these things. And we're not quite seeing it yet. We just see this stuff that, that seems to harass the military. So there's something there, and they want to find out how to study it better. Hey, Rod, I've got a question for you. Has the, yes, at, has the attitude of people who are in the business of flying changed enough that there is no longer a fear that they're going to be labeled as wackadoodle <laughs> if if they happen to report that they just saw something that should not exist at least based upon our understanding of the laws of physics so my understanding from talking to some pilots is for decades they it, you know, the command just didn't talk about it much. It's like, yeah, if you really want to report that, knock yourself out. We'll see it in the psych ward. I mean, that was the implication, right? That wasn't what they said, but that was the implication. Uh, the study that DOD came out with a couple of years ago said, you guys have to take this seriously. You have to let your pilots report it. Stop stigmatizing this. But, you know, I mean, these are very high adrenaline, high testosterone, high so-and-so kind of guys. So no matter what is said officially, when you go to the ready room, you're going to get the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, seeing these little green men lately. But it, it's better than it was. So, yeah, there is some stigma that's been lifted. Well, the, you said that the material that this panel is going to investigate is all declassified, right? For this study, yeah. Yeah, so it's available, I would assume, to almost anyone if they wanted to take a look at it. I mean, not to study I, it, but if they wanted to see what it was. Well, yeah, I, and, and honestly, I, because I don't study this stuff particularly, I, I wouldn't know where to find it off the top exactly. of my head. But but I know that, that there are various groups that can, like MUFON, Mutual UFO right. Network, and so forth. And presumably, you know, the intent of the NASA process also is they want to be really transparent. They want to be above reproach. You know, they don't have the kind of cover that the military does that way. So 
yeah, you'll be able to see whatever they whatever they look at. Does this does this mean that any new reports are going to be treated differently than they used to be? Well, that's the point of the study is to say, okay, so about six months from now is when it wraps up. And they want to be able to say, okay, here's the process. Here's how they get filed. Here's how we look at them. Here's how we assemble a group to look at them intelligently. And here's how we publish the results to the public so everybody knows what we know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people in that trade space think that these are, we talked about this before, you know, foreign operatives. Because yeah. if you're a Chinese, a really smart Chinese drone, you could pop up off the deck of a ship or out of a submarine, fly near a, a U.S. Uh, nuclear task, you know, uh, aircraft carrier task force. And if you start spoofing and sending out these weird signals that make you look like a UFO or a, a flock of UFOs, now the task force carrier group is going to light you up with their radar. And now I've just learned a whole bunch about your American radar systems and how you respond oh, to a threat. Yeah. So yeah. there's some concern that that may be what a lot of this is. And that's allegedly why so much of this stuff is classified. Yeah. Is there going to be a report? I mean, there's got to be some sort of conclusion to this panel's investigation. Yeah. It's supposed to come out in June or July, mm. and it'll be fully public, and you and I can talk about it and make some jokes. Irad, one last question from me. Sure. What will happen the day that someone, mm-hmm. either on a commercial jet or a military aircraft, spots us? spots an unidentified aerial vehicle that does things that nothing currently in the air can do and people on the plane get video of it etc what's going to happen the day we finally discover and get conclusive proof that we're not alone in the universe how ugly is that moment going to be I kind of like the landing on the White House lawn moment, but but whichever whichever way it happens, or Disneyland, you know, whichever right. way it happens, Disneyland um, might actually be safer. Yeah, probably. Yeah, for them, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about what's the government's plan. I think there's a from what little I've heard, there's a scaled approach from on the one extreme. Hey, we discovered some bugs on Mars, and they don't look like anything we've seen on Earth. To hey, the guy's going to be here next week, and they want us for lunch, you know. So there's a bunch of levels of, of response there. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because it challenges us militarily. It challenges us philosophically, uh, theologically. You know, a lot of religions are going to be shaken if, if we get a message from E.T. or something. Oh, and that, course, that's, that is going to be a big moment. Well, well, and imagine, you know, if they transmit in Chinese to the Chinese first, Mm-hmm. And we're going to be sitting here over here pouting like crazy mm-hmm. and vice versa. So whoever reads the message first and responds, depending on how far away they are, or if they're in a spaceship hovering next to the moon or something, you know, there's all kinds of scenarios here. So it's, it's hard to say, but it will certainly be a big day if it happens. Well, I thanks, sir. Thanks, Rod. We're out of time, and it's always been great oh, to talk right. to you. Rod Pyle from Ad Astro Magazine, and uh, thanks for the info, man.